So, one of the things about um, Scripture is that it's very honest and very real. And it tells us the truth about what happened and about the people involved. And to me, it's a great comfort because it helps me understand that the people in the Bible were just like you and me, no different. And so from this story that Taffy shared with the children today, we see that the people in the, in the New Testament were just like us, uh, not only in the good things, but also in the negative things, things that weren't so good. So here you have these 12 men, um, plus other people, but specifically these 12 men who have given up everything and they followed Jesus for about three years by the time this event took place. They've been with him a long time, been through a lot of experiences, had a lot of difficulties that they've overcome. And yet, here they are, still thinking that everything's all about me. It's all about me. So much so, Matthew says that uh, James and John got their mother. But Mark says they approached him directly. But Matthew says they got their mother you know, to come. You know, if I go and ask him, he may or may not do it, but my mom, who can resist my mom? That's his aunt, by the way. That's Jesus' uh, one, of, uh, one of the aunts there. So um, they come along, and the mom comes up to Jesus, and uh, I don't know, I, my kids used to do this to me sometimes, and maybe they did it to you. I'm going to ask you a question, just say yes. <laughs> Ever do that? Just say yes. I don't even know what the question is. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say yes, Dad. Come on. <laughs> Depends on the question. What do you want? And that's what they were doing here. She comes up, falls at her knees before Jesus. I want you to give me anything I ask you. What do you want? <laughs> it's a, just a little thing. My sons, James and John, your right and left hand when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> Not asking for much. The right hand was the place of the honored guest. The left hand was the place of the intimate friend, my best friend. And so they were saying, we want Jesus, we want James and John. You can choose which one's on the right and which one's on the left, as long as both boys make it, because it's all about our family, you know. Uh, as long as we're okay and we get the best spots, doesn't matter about anybody else. Well... The other ten disciples, when they heard that, they were all upset because they hadn't thought about it first. <laughs> Why didn't I get my mom to go? <laughs> uh, because they wanted to be first. And everybody thinks, it's all about me, so I deserve to be first, right? Everything in our culture tells us that. Everything focuses in on what I want. Just like the rich fool that we talked about last week. In that short little passage, six times, the word I, 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 I. So Jesus asked them a question. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Um, he was getting ready to drink the cup of God's wrath on sin. They didn't know what cup he was talking about. They just said, yeah, we can do that. He said, well, you will drink the same cup that I'm going to drink of, but it's a different cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
you will share with me in that cup. Uh, not the one he's getting, he's talking about. Although they will, both of them end up dying uh, later on in life for Jesus. And so he tells them, he says, but the right and left hand is not even for me to grant. God has already determined. He already has somebody prepared for that place. That's also a great comfort to us. Uh, you remember uh, in John 14, Jesus was telling him that he was getting ready to go away. And he says, I'm going away. The reason I'm going is to prepare a place for you. When it's ready, I'll come get you. And so he says, this place has already been prepared for the people who God chooses to go there. And then he went and talked to them about servanthood, what Taffy was explaining. The one who is at the lead of this V formation, that one is the servant of the group. They're doing the hard work. And it's not just one person. They take turns. Because if you have it all that based on one person, you're going to wear that person out. So they take turns. They help each other because it's not an individual thing. It's a group project going on here. It's part of the family. Part of being a family means everybody pulls his or her own weight. Uh, it's not all about uh, the prima donna, you know. It's not that kind of thing at all. And he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then the key to that is servanthood. And he says, like I'm doing for you, like Jesus is doing for us. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many, including those ten disciples and their mother, and you, and me, for us. In the book of Galatians, <clears throat> chapter 3, Paul's writing to this church at Galatian, a group of churches actually, <clears throat> in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So the book of the law, that's the Old Testament, the commandments that God gives. And he says that all who place themselves under that are obligated to measure their life by that law. And if you don't measure up, you're under a curse. Now, he explained that to them way back in Exodus when he first gave the law, and they went down it item by item. Everyone who does not live according to this way is under a curse. And all the people said, Amen, so be it. So they placed themselves under that obligation. The good news for us in Galatians chapter 3 is verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So if we know what is right and we fail to do it, we're under a curse. And the Old Testament makes it very, very clear repeatedly. The soul that sins will die. Not talking about the body because all, all of us physically are going to die sooner or later. It's just a matter of when. 
But he's talking about the soul that sins will die. That's the curse of the law. And the way to, to please God, according to the Old Testament, is to be obedient to him. And if you don't measure up, you're in trouble. That's why Jesus had to come, because what they found out and what God already knew is that none of us can live that kind of a life. Not one, not single, not a single one of us who's ever lived or ever will live can measure up to that except Jesus. He did because he was perfect, <laughs> but nobody else is, not one. And so we're all under the same condemnation, the same curse of the law. So what they did, they were commanded when they finally got out of Egypt. They had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and they were entering into the promised land. They were going to go to a place um, where the city of Shechem was. New Testament word for that is Sychar. That's where he met the woman at the well. And there's two hills there, uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And so they were commanded when they got there to remind everybody to renew this covenant they made with God. Half of the tribes of Israel were going to stand on Mount Gerizim. The other half were going to stand on Mount Ebal. The ones on Mount Gerizim got to read all the blessings. Blessed is the man or blessed is the woman who does this and this and this, who lives in this way. On Mount Ebal, they're reading these curses. Cursed is the person who doesn't do this or the person who does these things that they're not supposed to do. And they list all of those out. There's an altar for sacrifice. Get Swiss Mountains, it's on. Is it on the blessing side or the... Of the cursing side. The altar's on the, on the side of the curses because those are the people who need a sacrifice, a substitute, somebody to stand in and take the blame for what we've done, the penalty. And that's what God did by sending his son. All four gospels, all four of them, record the fact that when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't crucified by himself either. There were three people crucified that day. The other two guys that were crucified along with Jesus were thieves and robbers. And Now, this is not the ordinary pickpocket or somebody who um, has stole something, you know, a purse snatcher or something like that. They didn't have that kind of severe penalty for that kind of thing. These were, this were we would call them armed robberies. These were the violent people. These were the ones who killed people in order to steal what they had. And so these thieves and robbers, these guys were, um, they were pretty rough guys. And they got caught. And so you've, and all four Gospels record that these three men were crucified, and all four Gospels record Jesus was on the middle cross. All four Gospels make a note Jesus was in the middle. So he was in the place of serving. Uh, he's at the, at the focal point of the V when it came time to pay the penalty for sin. He is serving the rest of us by dying for your sins and for mine. And he's not there by himself either, is he? He's got two other men getting the just penalty for their lives. One on the right one on the left. You don't have any of the disciples volunteer 
They're all running for their life and hiding, right? Not James and John, not coming up saying, Lord, I want to sit at your right and left hand. Their mom's not falling at Jesus' feet saying, let my son be here with you. You don't have that, do you? You got two men who were there and they would have rather have been somewhere else. They weren't volunteering either. But there they are. One on the right, one on the left. You ever wonder why they crucified Jesus if they're wanting to kill him? Why crucify? I mean, if they wanted him dead, they had assassins then. And Jesus is always with crowds of people, right? People up close and they're, they're shoving and pushing. They're gathering around him, touching his clothes. Lots of people crowding around. It'd be easy just to slip a little knife in there and kill him. They could have done that. They could have done that. And they did that other times with other people, but not with Jesus. Well, just a few months later, in the book of Acts, there's a man named Stephen. You remember? And Stephen's preaching and he's proclaiming things that... The same people who crucified Jesus got angry with him. And while they were talking to him, he was making his defense. They became so angry, they just grabbed him, bodily drug him out of town, threw him next to a, 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 what we would call a, a gravel pit, and they stoned him to death. Big stones, picked him up and killed him. If they wanted to do away with Jesus, they could have done it in a number of different ways is what I'm saying. But these men, these priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they wanted him crucified. And Pilate even, he said, you've got a choice. I'll give you any person that we have in custody because it's the Passover. I will let one of them go free. And, they said, and so Pilate said, I've got two choices for you. Have Barabbas. We would call him a, um, a terrorist. He was a murderer. Um, some of them looked on him as a freedom fighter, but most people, even among the Jews, saw this man as a, a really bad man, terrorist, Barabbas. Or, I will give you Jesus. And they said, no, we don't want Jesus. We'll take the terrorist. He's the man for us. And he said, okay. And then Pilate asked them, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And you know the answer, right? They all began to scream and call her out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says repeatedly why he hasn't done anything worthy of death. I don't find any fault in this man. Crucify him, crucify him. Why did they want him crucified? Because cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. They didn't just want him dead. They wanted his soul to be lost forever. They hated him with an absolute bitter hatred. We want him cut off and separated from God forever. Psalm chapter 3, verse 2. David understood that. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him for no one will rescue him. And that's what they said about Jesus. God's not going to help him. And we want to make sure that God never helps him. We want him crucified because anyone who's crucified is under God's curse. That's what Jesus did for you and for me.
He took the curse of the law, the soul that sins will die. He took that upon himself and he himself became a curse. This is why he's crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became the curse for you and for me. Took that upon himself. Was anybody there saying thank you? One. One. Sometimes you and I feel alone. Sometimes when things are really difficult, we may think God has forsaken me. But he hasn't. He hasn't. He forsook his son so that he would not forsake you or me. God doesn't even want him. They wanted him dead. They wanted him crucified. So three men, all condemned by the state, all under God's curse, according to the religious teaching of the day, are being crucified. God's curse upon them. And even in that situation, all the disciples had fled. Um, there are a few women, and there are watching this horrendous, um, horrific way that this man is dying. His mother's there weeping with broken heart, <clears throat> powerless to stop. All these things that he said that he was and all these things that he did, they're looking at this, and they're thinking, every one of them is thinking, it's over, it's finished. There was not one person there that believed this was part of God's plan, even though Jesus himself had told them this was coming and that this was what was going to have to take place. They didn't believe it. They didn't take it to heart. They heard the words, but it was like, how many things have to happen to you before something occurs to you? Right? That's where these guys were. They had seen all these things, and it never occurred to them, he really is the Son of God. They thought it, but yet here he is, nailed to a cross. Would God let somebody do something like that to him? Yes. And only God would do that. That was the whole point, wasn't it? But right toward the end, one of the thieves looks to the other one and he says, Man, why are we cursing and making fun of this man? He's dying just like us. And we deserve it, but he doesn't. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, remember me. He's the one man at that point who had faith. There was no reason for his faith. He didn't look like a king right then. He surely wasn't acting like any king they had ever heard of. He was dying a, a shameful, horrible, painful death, humiliating death. And yet this man looks at him and he says, I believe when you come to your kingdom, remember me. So even in that situation, God did not leave his son without a witness. And it's a powerful witness. Almost the last thing Jesus said before he gave up the ghost, dismissing his spirit, was he looked at that man and he said, Today, today, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. 
So Paul says Christ became a curse to redeem us from the curse of the law. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says a very similar thing. And then he makes the transaction that was taking place there very clear to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What a, what a statement. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, not just a sinful person, but to be sin itself, the embodiment of sin, so that in him we might come, become the righteousness of God. Isaiah put it this way, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. We thought he was under God's curse. But, Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions, yours and mine. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace fell upon him. For us, for you, for me. And that was part of God's plan. So the thief, when he died later that day, and he stood before God Almighty, God looks at Jesus, his son, and he says, This is my son, and whom I'm well pleased. And then he looks over at the thief on the cross, and he says, You also are my son, and with you I'm also well pleased. So when we stand before the Lord, we will be like one of those two thieves. One will be eternally condemned and separated from God, the one who died with curses on his lips. The other died with a prayer on his lips. And he stood in the presence of God and was acceptable because God made his son, Jesus, to be sin for us that we, the thief, you and me, might become the righteousness of God. He took your curse and mine upon himself, and we can accept that or say, no thanks, I'll take it myself. And we have that choice, and we can make that choice. But he did that for us. And so he asked us, what will we do with this Jesus who was crucified? Let's pray. Lord, it staggers our ability to understand and receive the idea that you took all the punishment for our sins, for my sins, upon yourself in order that when we stand before the Father, we stand before him in the presence of Christ, our Lord and Savior, who shed his blood for us, who took upon himself our curse, our sin, that we might stand before God with the righteousness of Christ himself. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to know deep within our hearts that great love and compassion that you had in sending your Son for that very purpose so that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, help us to humble ourselves, to lay aside our pride and arrogance, to humble ourselves before you, Lord, to lay aside our selfishness and self-centeredness and allow you to come in and transform our hearts and lives, to make us like you, to take away that bent, that twist in our hearts that encourages us to sin and to replace it with your grace and your mercy that sees others through your eyes. Lord, we ask that by your mercy and grace you would do that in our hearts and lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.